Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week, and I trust you are enjoying this series that we're doing on the book of Romans as we have been sharing it over the last several weeks. And I really uh, am excited about this because I, I think it's some incredibly good news. This, this, under, this book of Romans blessed my heart when I first began to come into an understanding of grace, and really it was really an understanding of the book of Romans that made Luther really begin to have an understanding of grace and lead a Reformation. I really think that Reformation is going to come as we begin again to uh, understand that that's one of the things that's going to lead to Reformation is an understanding of grace. You know, back when I taught the series that we did on Re- Roadmap to Reformation, uh, you know, Zechariah was one of the contemporaries that was working with Ezra and Nehemiah. Haggai, Zechariah were prophets and priests that were working with them. And uh, Zechariah was prophesying to encouraging the people. And so, in this series that I taught on Roadmap to Reformation, one of the things that I shared with was that uh, Zechariah prophesied and said that the cornerstone and the capstone would be laid with shouts of grace, grace to it. And we find that uh, that's really quoted in John chapter 1 when he says in John chapter 1, for Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ and grace for grace. So this Reformation must be led, the cornerstone and the capstone is nothing but grace upon grace upon grace. And so when Paul opens the book of Romans, he begins to preach and say, grace and peace are multiplied to you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When you understand He came to impart this spiritual gift so that uh, there would be uh, this incredible peace that would come, and grace that would be multiplied. And then he declares, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel was the declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that through that, the impartation of grace and the impartation of righteousness that came as a free gift came as a result of the fact that he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that I could be made the righteousness of God. It was the announcement that the good news is you're not under an old covenant paradigm any longer where you have to do this on the basis of a self-help program. The gospel lands squarely on the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And it is by grace through faith that Paul begins to announce. And then he begins to announce that it is this good news that is being announced not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. And then he begins to tell them that, that uh, you know, that uh, the things of God were plainly seen and declared by the things that are made, even His eternal Godhead, so that no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, or if you've never read the Bible, or you've ever been under uh, a Jewish tradition, that he says that they're without excuse because the things that are main plainly declare God. I've preached this many a times and said, so that if I didn't have a Bible today, I could preach God from a tree and say His name is the man who's called the branch. I could tell you, God is like a river. He's the Spirit that keeps on moving and refreshing. He flows into the dry and thirsty places. I could pick up a rock and say, He's the rock of ages. You can, uh, I believe it is Job said, the heavens declare, night unto night they utter speech, and there's no place 
that their voice is not heard. I think that the, uh, Paul actually quotes that scripture that says, the heavens declare, and there's no place where their voice was not heard, so that the, the world was without the world was without excuse because when the Gentiles, which did not even have the law, do by nature the things that are written in the law, they show the law of God written on their hearts. So he tells them they knew, but when they didn't, when they knew God and wouldn't glorify Him as God, they begin to worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. He talks about what creates this downward slope of 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 of, of uh, all kinds of sin and perversion was because of a false false image of God, which he calls idolatry. And most of the perversion that you see in this chapter is a result of a wrong image of God. Now, if you missed any of these, you probably say, well, man, I jumped in here and I missed, must have missed a whole lot of stuff. Yes, you did. But the good news is, is you can go back to my YouTube channel and watch them on demand. And it's very simple by going to my website at lynnhiles.com. You can go to our YouTube channel and you can also watch them at your leisure on demand, or you can hit get the audio portions of this on our podcast, or you can get an RSS feed of the audio portion of this on your device by simply going to my website in the upper right-hand corner. There's a link that'll take you directly to that, and you go back and watch anything we've aired to date, so you can go back and review what we've already shared from Romans 1. Because I want to jump in here today and try to get through a little bit, maybe into chapter 2 a little bit, and show you that he's not only indicting outsiders, but he's indicting insiders, because the first two chapters and into the third chapter is the diagnosis and the indictment, and chapters 3 through 4 and on in are the deliverance from the indictment. The purpose of him indicting everything and everybody is that he might conclude all under sin so he can have mercy on all, that you find yourself somewhere in this list where you say, I need a Savior. And the good news is that's what Paul is announcing is the person and work of this incredible Savior who not just wants to get you to heaven and get you out of hell, but wants to get you into this glorious life that God has wanted and purposed for us to live. So we're going to jump in verse 18 and read that and then kind of just go into chapter 2 a little bit. Verse number 18, Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts." Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, they entered into idolatry down through history and up until the cross. What he's trying to show you is that everything up until this redemption and this deliverance that we'll see in the latter part of Romans was all headed for wrath. And we will see how that that wrath was taken upon Jesus, literally. He took what we had coming so we could get what He has coming. And uh, it appears to me that all of this is directed towards the idolatry of people, and all of the perversions that follow was part of idol worship 
of many of the Gentiles, but also infiltrating the Jewish nation as well. It's a result of wrong image of God. We are redeemed this from this wrath. We are redeemed from this wrath in Romans the fifth chapter because we stand in a new and a better covenant. That doesn't mean that these lifestyles are acceptable. It just means that what he's saying is all of us, every last single one of us are broken. The gospel is the good news to broken people. And the reality of it is we're all broken. So I thank God for the good news of the gospel. But he goes on to say this in verse 24, it said, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. I want you to note this. See, what he's showing you is that some of the judgment that comes on you is not necessarily God doing it, is that you are receiving in yourself the penalty of your own error, which was due. In other words, you know, there's a lot of repercussions to sin, even if you're under grace. Somebody said, you know, I mean, we've been forgiven, but listen, I'm going to tell you, if you just, if you drink like a fish, your liver is going to give out. If you smoke like the Cincinnati choo-choo train, my mother used to say, uh, you're going to die away too early. It's not that God did it to you, you did it to yourself. And some of the stuff that's coming upon people is not necessarily the judgment of God as a direct thing that God is doing. It's just that you're receiving in yourself the recompense of your own error. And sometimes our own sin reproves us and our own iniquity judges us to bring us to a place of repentance. He goes on to say, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to debased minds to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, which are not fitting, or I'm sorry, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death and not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So he's not just indicting. See, what we, we've done with this chapter is we've indicted, you know, we want to get over on the gay issue. Uh, you know, we want to talk about, we want to point out what we believe is the big sins. And I'm not saying they're not there, but right there in the same chapter is hatred, uh, deceitfulness, unfaithfulness, disobedient to parents, backbiters, inventors of evil things. In other words, he lists a whole lot of stuff that if you want to point your finger at that, you're going to have to point the finger back at you. And that what's, that's what's happening is he's including everything. Because as he goes into chapter 2, it's a continuous of this indictment. Because he opens chapter 2 by indicting the Jewish insiders or what people who thought they were holy. See, it's easy to keep the heat on somebody else that's not your people group. But what the purpose of this indictment is, is to diagnose the need of the human family, both insiders and outsiders, that all of us are broken and that all of us need a Savior. And without a Savior, 
What we had destined was judgment and indignation and wrath. But look what he says in chapter 2. Those people that we just read about are on a dark spiral. I think I'm reading this from the Message Bible. They're on a downward spiral. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground, where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping the detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. That's what I just told you. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. See, many times we try to point out flaws people outside of us keep to keep the guilt placed somewhere else without facing our own failures. This, but this chapter is a continuation again of the indictment of insiders and outsiders and the diagnosis, the result should result again in us knowing we need a Savior. Let me read on. He said, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because He's such a nice God, He'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but He's not soft. In kindness, He takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. So what He's saying is, I, I, he, it's not just one people group. He wants to take every single one of us that He's saying, you think you keep the heat on them by pointing out their failures, but you need a Savior too. But what He does is in His kindness, I love this, He takes us by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. I love what Matthew 11 says. He says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it. I'll teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. In other words, what he begins to tell him is, if you walk with me and you'll work with me and see how I do it, I'll take you by the hand. He goes on to say, this is a unique father-son project, but he said, I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. So if you're willing to listen and you find yourself in this context of God revealing something about you, let Him take you by the hand and lead you into this radical life change, not because you get to go to heaven after a while or you escape hell after a while, but because you get to walk in the peace, joy, and righteousness of the kingdom of God right now. Hallelujah. Let me read on. He said, you're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high. God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake, in the end you get what's coming to you. Real life for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, fire. I'll put a note in my notes here. I said, note this wrath would come in 70 AD. Also, note that the Romans, that Romans 5 declares that we have been, uh, as believers, saved from wrath. We are now on the other side of the cross, and because of the reconciliatory work of Christ, we stand redeemed from the curse of the law. This wrath directed towards the insider Jews, although everyone is included in the verdict of guilty, so that, we, uh, so that what we had coming, all of us, was wrath. Romans 5 declares that in the Message Bible, he reviews, he said, and here it is in a nutshell, one man did it right and got us in all this trouble, sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But he, here's the part, here's the key part. The next part of that says, but more than get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. 
And you need to just remember, it is the law that worketh wrath. So he's showing you that what the law was given to do was to expose that sin was exceedingly sinful to bring us to the place where we know we needed a Savior. Let me read on. This is verse number 9 of chapter 2. If you go against the grain, you get splinters. (laughs) That'll preach in itself. A lot of pain that people are in. You know what's amazing to me is how much pain people can seem to take. I've seen people get saved. God come on the scene, heal their marriage, heal their bodies, get their kids straightened out. They get in the house of God for a little while. After he gets it all straightened out, back out they go again. And first thing you know, they're going against the grain again. I'm telling you, there's only one way, and it's God's way, and they end up with splinters. He said, which, regardless of which neighborhood you're from or what parents, what your parents taught you, what schools you attend, but if you embrace the way God does things, there are wonderful payoffs, again, without regard to where you are from or how you were brought up. Being a Jew won't give you an automatic stamp of approval. God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you. He makes up His own mind. I'm reading this from the Message Bible. If you sin without knowing what you're doing, God takes that into account. But if you sin knowing full well what you're doing, that's a different story entirely. Merely hearing God's law is a waste of your time if you don't do what He commands. Doing, not hearing, is what makes the difference with God. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirmed its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien, imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. That tells me that people who've never heard the the Jewish customs of the law have something written within them that can tell you there's a no or a yes or what's right or what's wrong. You you know in your heart when you've done something wrong. You can I mean it's, it's something that's in in the fabric of our being. He said their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day when God makes His final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes into account all these differences. He said if you're brought up Jewish, don't assume that you can lean back in the arms of your religion and take it easy. This is powerful to me. Feeling smug because you're an insider to God's revelation. So you see, he's in, you, you know, we, we, we like to preach Romans 1 on outsiders and their sin, but he's indicting insiders here. And he said, it does, you know what? You can't lean back in the arms of your religion and take it easy. Feeling smug because you're an insider to God's revelation, a connoisseur of the best things of God informed of the latest doctrines. I have a special word of caution for you. Who are, you, who are sure that you have it all together yourselves, and because you know God's revealed Word inside and out, you feel qualified to guide others through their blind alleys and dark nights and confused emotions to God. While you are, guarding, while you are guiding others, who is going to guide you? I'm quite serious. While preaching, don't steal. Are you going to rob people blind? Who, who, would, who would suspect you? The same with adultery. The same with idolatry. You can get by with almost anything if you front it with eloquent talk about God and His law. That's what religion does. It hides people. But see, what he's doing is pulling the cover off. The line from Scripture, it's because of you Jews that the outsiders are down on God. It shows it's an old problem that isn't going to go away. 
Circumcision, the surgical ritual that marks you as a Jew, is great if you live in according with God's law. But if you don't, it's worse than not being circumcised. The reverse is also true. If the uncircumcised who keep God's ways are as good as the uncircumcised, in fact, better, it's better to keep God's law uncircumcised than break it circumcised. Don't you see it? It's not the cut of a mark. It's not the cut of a knife that makes a Jew. You become a Jew by who you are. It's the mark of God on your heart, not a knife on your skin that makes you a Jew. And recognition comes from God and not legalistic critics. That's from the Message Bible uh, that I just read. And let me read that verse 2, verse 28 from uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 3, verse 1. And it says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, nor the circumcision of that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So we're going to see as we get into Romans 3 that God's judgment is defended in Romans 3 because He tells us we're all in the same sinking boat. And I'll pick up that as we start to sing, you know, in our next... Uh, let, me, let me read a few verses. So uh, uh, it says, so, so what's the difference? This is Romans 3. What, what difference does it make who's a Jew and who isn't? who has been trained in the ways of God, and who hasn't. As it turns out, it makes a lot of difference, but not the difference so many have assumed. First, there's the matter of being put in charge of writing down and caring for God's revelation, these holy scriptures. So what if in the course of doing that, that some of those Jews abandoned their posts? God didn't abandon them. Do you think their, their, their faithlessness cancels out God's faithfulness? not on your life. Depend on it. God keeps His Word even when the whole world is lying through its teeth. Scripture says the same. Your words stand fast and true. Rejection doesn't phase you. But if our wrongdoing but if our wrongdoing only underlines and confirms God's right doing, shouldn't we be commended for helping out? Since we, our bad words don't even make a dent in His good words, isn't it wrong for God to back us up to the wall and hold us to our word? These questions come up. The answer to such questions is no, a most emphatic no. How else would things ever get straightened out if God didn't do the straightening? That's good news right there, is it's the one God that does the straightening. It's simply perverse to say, if my life serves to show, show of God's truth, that all the truth all the more glorious, why blame me? I'm doing God a favor. So where does that put us? Do Jews, do we Jews get a better break than others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out an identical condition, which is to say we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right not even one. None righteous? No, not even no one, one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping, graves their tongues slip as mug slides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouth and pollute the air. They race for honor 
of sinner of the year. <laughs> Litter of the land with heartbreak and ruin. Don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us to whom these scriptures are addressed. Every one of us are in the same sinking boat with everybody else. Our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God. What it does is force us to face our complicity and everyone else's sin. Hallelujah. So where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counters claims? Canceled. Yes, cancels. We've learned this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting Him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. And where does that leave our proud Jewish claim of having a corner of God also canceled? God is the God of the outsider, the non-Jewish, as well as the insider, the Jews. How could it be otherwise since there is only one God? God sets, all, sets right all who welcome His action and enter into it. But those who follow our religious system and those who have never heard of our religion. But by shifting our focus from what we do to what God does, don't we cancel all of our careful keeping of the rules and, and, and ways God commanded? Not at all. What happens, in fact, is that putting that entire white way of life in its proper place, we confirm it. And so what I'm showing you, and I'll come back and pick up chapter 3 uh, when we follow up on this again and, and expand on it a little bit more, but I wanted to read all of that to you in one setting because it looks like you're picking on one particular group of people when you pick on chapter 1. It looks like he's just indicting perversion, idolaters, outsiders, and what we think out-and-out sinners are. And man, I can see people preaching that. And then he opens up in chapter 2 and says, you know what, where does that leave you? You that say, don't do this, are you doing the same thing? He said, it's easy to mask and hide behind your religion and your revelation. But all you do when you do that is have to face your own complexity in it. But what you see is Romans 1, 2, and 3 are God's indictment and diagnosis of the problem. And we're going to come back and begin to show you the remedy for it is by simply entering into what God is doing rather than what you do, and let Him take you by the hand and gently lead you into this incredible life change transformation that only comes because of a grace that comes in your life and a divine empowerment by His Spirit. So what He's doing is not putting a demand on you for performance. This is not a self-help program. He's trying to tell you that we're all sinners, that we've all been in the same sinking boat. He concludes all under sin and says there's none righteous, not even one, so that at some point you realize I need to turn my focus on God and let Him do the changing in my life. Well, we're out of time. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry to help us take the gospel of grace around the world, please go to our website. There's a way you can give. There's a link there. And all you got to do is uh, you can give via credit card or PayPal. And if you'd like to, you can set up a monthly debit where you can give like 
or whatever you'd like a month. We encourage you to become a partner with this ministry. Do it today because we need your help to take the gospel around the world. If you'd like to, you can also send a check or a money order to the address that will come up on the screen, or you can call and give, uh, uh, you know, give over the phone. If you don't get an answer, please leave a message and someone will call you back. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.